You know, the beautiful thing about being a part of church families, none of us get an opportunity to choose what family we're going to be born into. Had we gotten that choice, some of us would have chosen separately. Some of us would have chosen a little differently. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you grew up in a home that you were ecstatic to come home every day, that you knew what to expect, you knew what it was going to be like with your mom, with your dad. Maybe you lived close to your grandparents and you could not have had a better childhood. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you grew up and you wouldn't go back and be a kid again for anything in the world. But the beautiful thing about being a part of a church family is this is a family you get to choose to be a part of. This is a family that you get to say, this is a good fit for my family. They're going to take me where I need to be. They're going to challenge me in my spiritual walk. I'm going to be able to build some community. And so there's just something really, really special about that. When you are a part of a church family, whether it's your first Sunday or you've been here for years, I have to tell you, uh, one of the things about being a part of a church family is you tend to see um, a lot of the same people from week to week. And you don't get to just see them on Sundays or Wednesdays, for those of you that come on Wednesdays, but in a community like Albany, you also see them out in public. And sometimes that's good. And ladies, tell the truth. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes you just want to run to the grocery store and pick something up real quick, and you don't want to run a brush through your hair or put up on your lipstick. And it's in those moments that people catch you, right? Well, two weeks ago, I was at Walmart, and I had to go pick something up for Becca um, and, and the kids. And, and I walk in, and I'm wearing just like a fishing shirt and flip-flops and a T-shirt. And I turn a corner, and a lady looks at me very strange. And I didn't know, it was the kind of look where I didn't know if she was looking at me or if something horrible was about to happen behind me that I needed to be aware of. But at any rate, I could tell that she recognized me, so I spoke to her. I said, hey, how are you? She said, hey. She said, I, I come to Sherwood sometimes. And I said, well, I'm so glad you do. I, I, I'm there every week. And she said, well, I've never seen you in shorts before. And I said, well, ma'am, I hope this doesn't keep you from coming back. And so, ma'am, if you're here today, I'm back in long pants. So, welcome home. That's one of the neat things about being a part of a family, is that you see people. Some people you know well, some people you don't know as well, but you'd like to. And for some of you, I've known you more of my life than I haven't. And you look around and, and you just say, hey, these are my people. And there's something, when you read God's word, you see that there is a tighter bond in the family of God than there is even in your blood relatives. And the reason why is because flesh and blood, it will all go away. But what is in Christ will forever be together. And that the truth behind that is beautiful. Now listen, nobody in here is perfect. We all need grace. We all need mercy. We all need forgiveness from the Lord and from each other. And some of our mistakes are in private. And some of our mistakes are in public. And one of the markers of the family of God is that we extend grace when grace is needed. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start off in the uh, book of Romans, Romans 12. It's going to be kind of like our key verse as we look at why I believe that you need a church family. Now, you're in here today, and maybe this is your first Sunday, and you're thinking, great. This is a, a, a class, or this is a, a message on membership, and there's going to put a lot of pressure on it. Let me just let you off the hook right now. My desire is not to put any pressure on you at all, but to simply show you from God's word and out of my life here at this church and as being a Christ follower, 
why I believe it's important to be a Christian. Now, I will say this. We do have Sherwood's story at the end of the service, which is our membership class. And yes, I did that on purpose. But the reason I did that, and, and I, tell, I make this joke all the time, but it's true. It's not a, a high-pressure sell. It's not like a, a timeshare where if I can't close the deal, I need to go get Pastor Jim McBride to come in. It's nothing like that. It's simply saying, here's who we are. Here's how we're pursuing Christ. Here's how we're trying to reach the world. And here's how you can be involved. I know that some of you, we live in the most com committal, non-committal society the world's ever known. Everybody likes to participate. Everybody likes to receive. Everybody likes to take. Very few people like to give. And so it's, it's easy to just kind of swoop in and swoop out and figure that they're not going to really need my time. And if I'm a member, then all they're really going to want is my money. Hey, can I tell you something? God doesn't need your money. God needs your heart. If God had wanted your money, he would have sent an economist instead of Jesus. He sent a savior, the redeemer of the broken. And those who are far from him and those of us that are in him know that if, if we once were in darkness and we've been made children of the light, then we are called to live as children of the light. I believe it's going to be up on the screens, Romans 12, 4 through 5. Let's read that. For as one body, we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There's many members and there's one body. It, it always amazes me and the opportunities that I've had to work on different church staffs to see how God puts together teams. That people don't always have the same strengths, gifts, and abilities. And the same is true about the body of Christ. When you look around our church, the people that make up our security team, the people that rock babies, the people that are ushers, the people that are part of the, the parking, uh, the people that are teachers, the people that are musicians and singers, and all of these different things, you understand that everybody is finding their specific skill set and gift mix that God has uniquely and creatively gifted them to use, not just for themselves secondarily for themselves, but most importantly and first is for the body of Christ and the glory of God. That you and I were created to serve. That we've been given a ministry to do that. And so people wonder, what, what's the big deal about being a member? Can I just come and can I just even give? I know you say that you don't need our money, but that's just preacher talk. What if I just attend from time to time? Every once in a while, I put a 20 in the offering plate and we just call it even. Guys, can I tell you something? That the body of Christ is more important than any of those external factors. When you look at the New Testament, we see that no less than 13 of the 23 New Testament books were written to churches. Don't miss this. Now, when you look at God's word, there, there's not a, you should join a church. Here's how you should do it. Is the music good? Check. Is the preacher good? Check. Did he make any anti-political comments that ruffle my feathers or hurt my feelings? No. Is it close to the house? Yes. Is it convenient? Yes. There's none of these things that you see. What you do see is the body of Christ, those who are followers of Christ that identify with the death, burial, and resurrection and extended life of Jesus through his children. You see them gathering together 
in one accord. And so no less than 13 of the 23 books from the New Testament were written to churches. What does that mean? It means that there was a recognizable body of Christ somewhere early in the, after the death and resurrection of Christ. Matter of fact, in God's word, in, in the book of Acts, Acts 2.47, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Don't miss this. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day to those who were being saved. Now, you might be in here, and you may have been hurt by a church, and you think, listen, all they care about are, are people. They want to grow a big church. Guys, can I tell you something? That this local body cares more about building the kingdom than building this physical address at 2201 Whispering Ponds. Why do we count people? Because people count. People matter to God. And if people matter to God, then people have to matter to us. And if God in his richness and his grace and his mercy and his love and in his perfection can reach out to me and to reach out to you and see us in all of our mess and extend a hand of fellowship and say, you are now a son, you are now a daughter, you are now adopted into the family of God, then you and I have every opportunity and responsibility to extend that same grace to other people. And I love that about the family of God. There, have been, there are people in this room that have loved me when I needed to be loved. They corrected me when I needed to be corrected. They, they've uh, encouraged me when I needed to be encouraged. They've rebuked me when I needed to be rebuking. All of us need those things. All of us need those things. Acts 16.5 says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in their numbers daily. You see, Jesus died for the church. He died for the bride of Christ. For you and for me. And for everybody that's meeting around the world in different time zones, in, in different regions of the world, some have already met, some have yet to wake up that we'll meet later. Guys, here's what we know. is that Jesus died for the bride of Christ. And it is simply impossible to say you love Jesus and hate the bride. I can't say that I love Jesus and I'm walking with him and not care about the things that he cares about. It's impossible to separate the two. And churches mess up. Churches make mistakes. And I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know the hurt or the pain that you've endured. Maybe you've really been just uh, suspicious of, of any church, every church, or just this church. Can I tell you something, guys? We're going to mess up. But it's not going to be intentional. Just like you're going to mess up. And it's not going to be intentional. And what we tend to do is that we judge our own lives by our intentions, but we judge churches by their actions. And sometimes the body of Christ has a black eye, but can I tell you something? It always heals because Jesus is the great physician. You've got your notes. I want to draw your attention. The first thing we see is that being a part of a church family helps us identify as a follower of Christ. It helps identify you as a follower of Christ. Now, back decades and decades ago, people would join county seat churches because it was good for their image. They would join churches because it was good for their business. 
Now, some of them would join churches because they genuinely loved God and, and, and wanted to pursue the things of God's word. But there was also a striking motivation back then that even people that were far from God would desire to be a part of a church because it was good for them to be seen. These days, being a part of a church almost has the opposite effect. The world, by and large, sees Christians and those who identify with the Bible as being backwards, as being bigots, as being uneducated, not understanding higher education. And some of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my entire life were sold out Christ followers. It helps identify us as as a follower of Christ. What do I mean by that? Guys, if nothing else, for your spouse to see you rise every day, get in God's word, wake up on Sundays, and go to church. It's a testimony to the faith that you have in the ever-loving and redeeming faith of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two of my neighbors are in this room today. I've seen them just a few moments ago. It's a testimony to me when I see their car not in their driveway because I know that they're at church. I know that they're caring about the spiritual wellness of their, of their heart and that they're pursuing the things of God. And I pray that they see the same thing when our cars are absent from our driveway. And there are several other people, if the statistics are right, that we talk out and we throw out all the time. If the statistics are right, then 88% of our community watched all of you drive away from your home today to a house of worship and a house of faith. And here's what I can promise you. It helped identify you to them as a follower of Christ. And so when I give of myself to this place, It's not just because vocationally this is what I do and this is how I earn a living. I give of myself to this place because God has called me to community. And God has called you, he's called us to community. It identifies you as a follower of Christ with, with your children, your neighbors, your coworkers. It's one of the things that marks you as a Christian. I've got several friends who, who run uh, 5Ks and half marathons and full marathons, and why you'd want to do that, literally have no idea why. My general rule is, is if you see me running and you're close, you should come with me. <laughs> Leo, you know the first rule in running from something, don't you? You don't have to be first, you just can't be what? Don't be last. That's right. If you're running next to me, and me or you are tied for the end, I might kick you in the knee and hobble you up. <laughs> One of my friends said he was down on the beach, and um, he, he runs quite a bit. And um, he was there with his, his kids. It was kind of early one morning, and another guy was walking, and he said, I just felt like the Lord kind of wanted me to strike up a conversation with him. So I did, and he said, my kids are building sandcastles, so I just kind of left them for a second. I started talking to this man. And he's wearing T-shirt and shorts and um, tennis shoes. He said, I I thought it was strange he was wearing tennis shoes on the beach, but he was wearing tennis shoes. And so he said, we got to talking for a few minutes. And he said, just in the middle of conversation about just the beach and where they're from and everything, he said, the guy looked at me, and I had not told him anything. He said, you're a marathon runner, aren't you? And he was like, yeah, I am. You know, I thought maybe I'd run in a, a marathon. Maybe I'd beat you before. Maybe you saw me from behind, the number on my back. Because I'm a pretty good marathon runner. I, I do run marathons. He said, yeah, I, I do. He said, how'd you know? He said, I looked at your toes and you're missing toenails. 
You see, one of the marks of someone who runs a lot is that their toenails will fall off from time to time. Another reason not to run, people. <laughs> I don't have really great toenails, but I don't want those jokers falling off. <laughs> he said, as I walked back to my beach chair, I was just reminded, was like, those are, that's one of the things that kind of identifies me as a runner. And there are things like that in my life and in your life that identify us as a follower of Christ. There are markers all around. And if those markers are not in our life, then it's one of two things. Either we have stepped into pursuing the desires of the flesh and we're not walking in unity and harmony with the Father, or we need a relationship with Christ. What are some of those markers? Some of those markers are love. That we're going to love one another. The Word of God says that you will know them by their love for one another. You will know them by their fruit. The things that come out of their lives. The way that they treat their spouse. The way they respond to their children. The way that they respond to their co-workers, their boss, or their employees. The way that they treat people. The way that you love people is a huge marker in a Christ follower's life. They're going to be forgiving. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Forgiven people are forgiving people. If you and I have once been in the middle of all of our sin and all of our trouble and we have been forgiven and set free, then why in the world would we not want to extend that same grace and mercy and forgiveness to other people? And being part of a church family helps identify us as a follower of Christ. We also see that it helps bring us into fellowship instead of isolation. It brings us into fellowship instead of isolation. You see, God's plan for your life is community. Now, I know that some of you are introverted and some of you are extroverted, and some of you introverts would say, hey, listen, I'm okay with little to no community. I'm okay with little to no isolation. Can I tell you something, guys? That will keep you from fully experiencing and growing in the ways that God desires for you to grow. Hebrews 10 25, I believe that it's on the screens. Let's look at that together. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's talking about these Christ followers, these people in Hebrews. He's saying, hey, listen, don't forget to get together. In a few moments when we have Sherwood's story, One of the things that I talk about, and I'll read this verse again, one of the things that I mention is that we don't want you to join our church and treat our church like Gold's Gym where you join in January and we don't see you after March. Everybody packs on a few pounds during Thanksgiving and and, and Christmas, and then gym membership shoots up. It rockets up in January and February. And if you talk to anybody who opens a gym, they'll tell you that if it were not for those guilty members, they literally would not have enough revenue to work the rest of the year. I've done that. I know none of you have because you're all gym rats, right? 
But that happens. We don't want people to just come here, get plugged in a little bit, and then join and be presented and then disappear. You're not just cheating yourself. You're cheating the body of Christ. There's only one you, and God has created you for the service of other people and for the glory of God. And when we work together like that, we understand that God calls us to live in fellowship, not in isolation. We're better together. Our enemy thrives when we walk along. Our enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the father of all lives, he thrives when we decide to do life alone. I'm telling you that there are times, and those of you that experienced great loss in our, in, our, in, in our church, you know what it means to have a church family come beside you. You know what it means for brothers and sisters in Christ to pull up next to you and pray with you, encourage you, love you, celebrate with you. And on a far too regular basis, we'll get calls for people that are not connected to any church, not connected to any community, no house of faith, no body of Christ. Someone will pass away and they literally almost have no one. Or it's the saddest thing in the world. And we don't, we don't become members of the, of, of the body of Christ just for us, but I'm telling you, there are some reasons that are practically and, and, and selfishly beneficial to our lives. But more than that, there's reasons that are eternally beneficial, have uh, benefits throughout eternity. They, they have benefits for, for the corporate body of Christ. God's plan for our life is community. It also helps us, being a part of a church family helps us discover our gifts and our abilities. What are your gifts? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? All of us have been gifted in different ways. Can you imagine what it would be like if every person in your house had the exact same personality? If everybody was like you? Now, some of you are thinking, hey, if everybody was like me, we'd have an awesome house. Everybody's like me. Things would get done. Or maybe nothing would get done. Maybe some of you are wise enough to say, I'm so glad that not everybody in my house are like me. I'm grateful that the body of Christ is made up of all different kinds of people that have gifting, giftedness unlike me and unlike you. We need each other. The kingdom needs you. I need you. And prayerfully, you need me. Like We need each other. We are better together when we see this over and over and over, we look at people's giftedness and we think, I could never do what they do. And I can promise you that they could never do what you do just the way that you do it. That the body of Christ is stronger because of each other. Romans 12, um, 6 through 9 tells us this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let me just pause there. It didn't say that we might use them or when it's convenient for you to use them. Or when your kids get to another season in life, then use them. 
It says, let us use them. It's an encouragement to actively pursue using the giftedness that God has granted you. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy and with cheerfulness. He's writing and he's saying, listen, all of these different ways that God has uniquely shaped you for his service, they are to be done in the body of Christ. That we are far better together than we are separate. John 13, 35 says, by, all this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. And so when we talk about what does it mean to have love for one another, to extend mercy, if we were to genuinely slow down on the people that provide service for them and look them in the eye and speak to them like they matter, Because so few times does that happen. It's so rare that people slow down these days, make eye contact with someone, just to check on them. I've found that oftentimes the Lord will lay someone on my heart and mind. And what I mean by that, for those of you that didn't grow up in the church and maybe that's kind of a weird phrase or a thought for you. If someone comes to my mind, if I think of them, oftentimes I'll shoot them a text or I'll call them. And it always surprises me. It always catches me off guard. Even though I know that God is eternal and sovereign over all things, it still catches me off guard when I hear something like, I needed to hear from somebody today. I needed to know that someone was praying for me today. I was just thinking about you, and here's what I want to talk to you about. Oftentimes, in the body of Christ, God is working in your heart, and simultaneously, he's working in the heart of someone else for God to show who he is and how good he is. The next thing we see is that it helps us to understand our purpose. Being a part of a church family, it helps us to understand our purpose. Matthew 5, um, it says 15 through 16 in your notes. I'm going to include 14. It says that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It helps to understand your purpose. That you and I were created for more than just being born, doing as good as we can do in school, graduating as close to the top of our class as possible, possibly getting a gold tassel that hangs around our neck that literally will mean nothing in a couple of weeks, going to college, starting over, and then working hard, trying to hopefully get a job, which in today's economy, it's nearly impossible to get a good job coming out of college. Still go to college, kids. And and all the parents are like, we hate him. And so... It's, it's, it's difficult to understand that I wasn't born for me. That God didn't speak me into, create, into existence and weave me together in my mother's womb just so I would be happy. He did so so that I would be holy. 
That the purpose of God is to know him, like genuinely, intimately know him, and to make him known with my life. And it's so easy to say that in here. It's easy to do that in here. It's hard out there. It's difficult when we leave property and we get home and the bills are due and there's more money than there is month. We commit ourselves to the Father and then we get home and the relationships are estranged. We get to work and we feel undervalued, underappreciated, underpaid, and overworked. It's difficult to walk in step. But just because it's difficult doesn't change the fact that this is what God has called us to. It's still our responsibility. As difficult as today is, as dark as the times are, with the wars and the rumor of wars and the political upheaval and the the racial uh, 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 tension that always seems to pop up about the time it starts subsiding, guys, there has never been a time when the gospel and the light of Jesus is more needed than when it's darkest, and that's now. We've got to have that now. And being a part of the body of Christ helps us to understand our giftedness and helps us to understand our purpose so that we can walk in the wholeness of what God is calling us to walk into. Lastly, being a part of a church family helps keep us close to God and to his purpose for my life. It's not just understanding my my purpose in the body of Christ. It's to understand my purpose for life. In your notes, E.A. Adobe says, if you fail, don't miss this. This This is awesome. If you fail to discover your purpose on earth, Satan and men will happily sell theirs to you. When I was a student pastor, I tell students all the time, Everybody gets a blank check for their life. Everybody. And it will be filled in. Either you'll fill it in under the authority of the Father. You'll fill it in under your own authority trying to make yourself happy. Or the rest of the world will fill it in for you. But it will be cashed. I just choose to fill out my check of my life for the glory of God and say, Father, all I'm coming, I'm coming with two fish and five loaves like the little boy at the biggest fish fry in the history of the world. I'm just coming with next to nothing, and I need you to make something out of nothing. I need you to take me and multiply your goodness in my life and help me to be better than I can be by myself. Not for myself, but for others because of your purpose. Father, would you help my life to put a big, fat spotlight on your son every breath of my life so that people would know that there is a God in Israel. God is calling us to so much more, and it's not just to be an attender. And it's not just to be simply a member. It's to be a part of a body of Christ who loves you, that you love him, and that you spend your life. You're being encouraged, and the fire in your heart is being stoked consistently that you would walk with a God who loves you and has a plan for you. That you would live, that I would live for something much greater than myself. Maybe you're in here today, and you're not a member of this church or any church. Maybe when I started talking about family earlier, the idea of being a part of a church 
family it's kind of sounds kind of all right. But there's another family that you need to be a part of that you're not a part of, and it's the family of God. Maybe you're in this room today and you know that you've never given your life to Christ. You've never trusted him as your Savior. The Word of God in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Everyone around you, everyone in front of you, everyone behind you, everyone you ever meet, everyone you will ever meet. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Romans 6.23 says, but the wages of sin, that's a payment. That's something that I've earned. Because I've done something, I have earned a wage. And the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, while we are in the middle of all of our sin, that Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 and 10 says that if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we confess the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. So you're telling me it's that easy? It is that easy. And it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life. Because it's not just about walking an aisle, choosing to be baptized, and then joining a church. Being a follower of Christ, having the mark of Christ on your life will cost you everything that you have. It says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. 